Well, thank you for being here uh, this morning. As I said, some, somewhat of a different uh, approach to our, our worship this morning uh, in connection with uh, uh, the Scripture and our, our considerations of it together. Um, we have been uh, looking at uh, the theme in this year 2020 of having eyes uh, to see. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned uh, in our opening messages the last two weeks, that uh, to gain a proper understanding uh, of our view and our understanding of God, uh, we need uh, something outside of ourselves uh, to inform us. Something that is constant and universal. Uh, something uh, that, that does not change. Uh, that something is what God Himself gave us, uh, the Bible. The Bible is God's revelation of Himself. It is Him communicating to us Himself and what He wants us to know uh, about uh, um, Him. You know, our own ideas uh, of God or even uh, the, the musings of sages or the studies of theologians is, is not enough. Uh, it's not sufficient. Uh, we need, we need the, the Word of God. Uh, and to the degree that, that we allow the Word of God to speak will determine uh, our, our right conception of God. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, uh, makes uh, two uh, statements that I'd like to share with us this morning. He said, A right conception of God is not only basic to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. It is to worship what the foundation is to the temple, where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. He says, I believe that there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying the Christian ethic that cannot be traced finally to an imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. See, what you believe about God will impact what you do and how you live. In fact, uh, he says... In a second quote, perverted notions about God will soon rot the religion in which they appear. The long career of Israel demonstrates this clearly enough, and the history of the church confirms it. So necessary to the church is a lofty concept of God that when that concept in any measure declines, the church with her worship and her moral standards declines along with it. The first step down for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. But you know, even with God giving us His Word, we have difficulty in grasping the God that we serve and that we worship and we desire to know. A perfect example of this can be found in the book of Ezekiel. 
And I just want to share with you just a couple of thoughts from Ezekiel chapter 1. Beginning at verses 26, 27, and 28. I'm not going to read the, the uh, entire passage for us. But if you were to take the time to read that, you probably are going to come away saying, what does that mean? And I agree with you. Because Ezekiel was given a, a glimpse, if you would, of the glory of God. And, and he, is, he is at a loss to be able to try and describe even what he is seeing. Some of you who are maybe better at visualizing what you read, and I struggle with that, especially in the Old Testament, talking about the blueprints for the tabernacle and the temple and so on, spatial things and all that. I have a hard time with that. I have a difficulty trying to imagine that. This is even more difficult because Ezekiel's trying to describe what he saw in the glory of God. And he says here in verse 26, and I'm reading from the New King James Version because it captures this better than the NIV and some of the other translations. It says, Above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like a sapphire stone. Now that much we can understand. But here's the difficulty. In trying to capture the if you would, the person that he saw. Notice this. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. And what I want you to see here is that, that Ezekiel tried to describe this picture of the presence of God and the glory of God can't even give you a likeness. He has to remove it twice to be able to try to put it in terms where the human mind can grasp. Read that again with me. A likeness with the appearance of a man. That's, that's three times removed from what he actually saw to try to describe it to you so that when we come to the Word of God and we try to, in our minds, capture, if we could, in a snapshot, all that God is, our human finite minds cannot and never will. Maybe that's one of the reasons God gave the prohibition to his people to never make God in, in the image of any form or likeness that you see because you can never have one image that can capture God in his fullness and in his totality. And you know, we could spend an entire year considering the perfections of God and still not exhaust all that can be known about God, all that he has made known to us, and all that he desires for us to know concerning him in his attributes, in his character, and in his works. But today, this morning, we're going to consider three attributes of God. And, and even in this, it's just going to be a glimpse. It's just going to be a glimpse, okay? And, and, and there is in your bulletin, if you take notes, if you like to do that, there's a blank page for you to take notes. I would encourage you to write these scripture passages down because they're, vol they're voluminous this morning. There's a lot, you know? And you can look these up on your own because most of them I'm just going to touch on and make a comment and move on to, to show you in, in this brief time that we share this morning the, these three attributes of God that are found woven throughout the Scripture because God wants us to know Him in these ways. And the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that, number one, God is omniscient. God is omniscient. Omni means all, and the, the, the word, uh, 
It's, it's a word science. It comes in its, in its Latin phrase. It means knowledge. Uh, and when it's put together, it's omniscience. Uh, it means that God is all-knowing. God knows everything that can be known. Everything actual and even everything possible. God will never say, well, you know, that never occurred to me. I never thought of it that way. Because God is all-knowing. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future perfectly without lack or any want. And all at the same time. So it's not like, I got to... What was that two millennia ago? He doesn't have, because he has perfect and absolute total recall because his knowledge is perfect. He never learns anything. Nothing ever takes him by surprise and God is never caught off guard because God is all-knowing. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13 uh, states this. Who has, understand, who, has, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And the answer to those prophets' questions speaking actually for God, was nobody taught him because God is all-knowing. In fact, let me show you some support from this found in the Scripture. Look at me at Job 34. Job chapter 34 with me for a moment. Job chapter 34. And look at verse 21 with me. Job 34, 21. His eyes are on the ways of men, and he sees their every step. There is no dark place, no deep shadow, where evildoers can hide. God has no need to examine men further that they should come before him for judgment. Without inquiry, he shatters the mighty and sets up others in their place. Because he takes note of their deeds, he overthrows them in the night, and they are crushed. God does not need to have an inquiry to see whether or not man needs to be judged because of his sins. Because God knows it all together. In fact, Job 37 verses 14 through 16 again highlight this fact. Do you not know, verse 15 of Job 37, how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash. It's interesting that in, in, the, in the account of Job, God is asking Job a series of questions that deal with basically the natural world around him. And Job can't answer his questions about basic matters of, of creation. And look at verse 16. Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Do you know how the clouds are in the atmosphere and how they hang there. Now, we could tell scientifically, and yeah, we can explain that, but who put those laws in place? God himself so that it works to the degree that we could actually have, have scientific methods that prove that clouds will do this or they'll do this, if they're this kind of cloud or that kind of cloud or what have you. And notice this, it's by the one 
Those are wonders of him, verse 16, who is perfect in knowledge. You want a key verse that talks about God's omniscience, his all-knowing ability because he is God? There it is. God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39, Solomon declared, For you alone know the hearts of all men. God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. In fact, look at Psalm 139 with me. Psalm 139. And maybe you want to keep a bookmark there because after I put these notes together, I realized we're going back there three times. But Psalm 139, and notice this. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I arise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. And you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Isn't that amazing that God knows everything about you? All of your habits, all of your goings and comings, all of of your thoughts, and even what you're about to say before you say it. Remember your mom used to say, bite your tongue. Well, he knows what you were about to say that was about to come out of your mouth before you even said it. He knows your thoughts Uh, from afar. Isaiah 29 tells us, though, the foolishness of trying to hide from God. Isaiah 29, 15 says this, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed Say to him, how did you, he did not make me. Can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing? See, God knows everything about you and everything about me and everything about everything else. When I relate it to myself personally, Psalm 44, 20 and 21, I'm reminded that God knows my unfaithfulness. He knows my unfaithfulness. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, he knows my weaknesses. He remembers our frame that we are but dust. Matthew 6, verse 30 tells us God knows the number of hairs that are upon our head. For some of us, it's becoming fewer and fewer. For some of us, maybe you think there's none at all. But if there's even one little one, God knows it. But you know, God also knows the things that you do that are good that nobody else knows about that you have done in his name. And Jesus affirms that in in Matthew 6, verses 3 and 4. The things that you do in secret, God sees and he rewards openly. God knows all of our needs. That's why he says when you come before him and you worry about what am I going to do in this situation or circumstance, you know, he says, God clothes the lilies of the field. He'll clothe you, O you of little faith. And God knows our needs before we even ask him concerning those needs. And God provided for us in Jesus Christ for the greatest of our needs. And that is a Savior in his Son, Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24 indicate that according to the foreknowledge of God, Jesus Christ came into this world and died upon a cross and arose again on the third day that he might become the Savior and the sacrifice for all who will trust him as Lord and Savior, all according to the foreknowledge of God. It's put in human terms, foreknowledge. It's, it's the knowledge of God that planned and ordered and ordained that. 
What should our response be? Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 is this. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and forever. Amen. God knows all about you and all about me. And you know what? He still loves you and wants you to know him as God overall. It's a reminder that with God being all-knowing, that we can call out to him who is perfect in knowledge and perfect in wisdom. And if we lack wisdom, God will provide it if we will seek him uh, in faith. So God is omniscient. Secondly, the Bible reveals to us that God is omnipotent. Omni being all and potentate being powerful. God is all-powerful. That means that God is infinite in power. His power is limitless. There's no want in that. Um, I can remember uh, one of the questions that our children learned back in Pennsylvania at the Christian school they attended in catechism was uh, the question, can God do anything? And the answer was, God can do all his holy will. In essence, affirming the fact that God can do anything. Did you know that in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, when God appeared to Abraham to reassure him that he was going to fulfill his promises to him, the name that he declared himself to be is God, the Lord Almighty? Do you ever stop to ponder that? Almighty? That, in essence, is capturing that, that idea and that reality of the, the power of God that is limitless. Back later on, when God appeared to Abraham and reminded him that he was going to have a child through Sarah, Sarah laughed. A woman of my age having a baby, well, that seems almost something that's laughable. And the Lord said, is anything too ha- hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Answer, No. No. In fact, Job, at the end of all of his wrestlings with God and trying to understand God in the midst of his difficulty and his suffering, declared in Job 42 and verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. See, God is all-powerful. One time the disciples in Matthew chapter 19 particularly in verse 26, the answer, when, when Jesus was saying, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And the disciples kind of looked at one another and just kind of actually took it to begin applying to themselves because then they asked the question, who then can be saved? And Jesus' response was, with men, this is impossible. But with God, anything is possible. And I think that that should bring us encouragement to know that that was set in the context of who can be saved. 
By the power of God, anybody can be saved. There's nobody that is beyond the grace of God. In fact, J. Vernon McGee put it this way. I love this quote. No one is ever beyond the saving grace of God as long as he is topside of this earth. And can't you just hear J. Vernon McGee saying that in his southern twangy voice? As long as you're topside of this earth, there's hope for you because of the power of God and his ability to save. Why? Because God is all-powerful. And see, God's, God's almighty power is not only seen in the saving of souls, which I believe is probably the greatest demonstration of his power, but also in the creation of you and the creation of me. Back to Psalm 139. Did you notice this? That the psalmist declares here in this Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God's almighty power is seen in creating life. Your life and my life and really all life because God is the source. He is the Lord and the giver of all life. He is that source. How is that possible? Because he is God almighty, God all-powerful. Look at Psalm uh, 147 when we think about creation and the created order. Psalm 147, uh, verse 4 through 6. He, referring to God, determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. You know they have this thing out here where you could buy a star and name it after somebody? Sorry, God already named them. He calls them all by name. He determines the number of stars. That in itself speaks about the power of God. Because remember, when God created, He didn't have to sort of assemble all the parts first. He just spoke it into existence. Ecnilio is the word in theology. Out of nothing, He just spoke it. We have seen that God is all-knowing. He is uh, all-powerful. And now He is omnipresent, which means that He is all-present, or if you prefer, He's everywhere uh, present. Now, in the first two, we might be able to uh, affirm them uh, even in our hearts and in our minds. But when it comes to the, the presence of God, we may, we may wrestle a little bit with this, at least on a, on a practical level, on a personal level. Um, the reality, though, of His uh, omnipresence uh, is captured again in Psalm 139, 
where the psalmist uh, uh, recognizes this reality about God when he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness as as light to you. Again, King Solomon in, in 1 Kings 8.27 declared the heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot uh, contain you. See, God is everywhere present, uh, and we are always in the presence of God. We can't, uh, we can't escape it. Jonah tried and failed, didn't he? You can never get away from the presence of God. See, it's a mistaken notion to think that God is only present in this building or when we gather here. When you leave this place, you don't leave the presence of God behind. He's with you because He's everywhere present. When Tammy and Mark arrive at their destination, they're not going to leave the presence of God because they're in a in a setting where there, maybe there's less believers present there. God is present there. God is present at the, at the farthest place of the universe. In fact, that quote that I shared with you from 1 Kings 8.27, the heaven, even the highest, cannot contain you, means that however vast the universe is, and we don't know, if there is an end point to it, God is not only present at its very end, He's beyond it, because God is transcendent. He's everywhere present. Isaiah 43 uh, is a good uh, uh, place to look at for this thought because it's a reminder that as we struggle sometimes with the presence of God in our lives, it usually happens not so much when things are going well for us, but when there's difficulties. When we face the storms, when we face the trials, when things are trying, we, we question whether God is really present with us. And God says to his people through the prophet, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel your Savior. As I said, it's usually in those times of difficulty that we question the presence of God uh, with us. Is He really there? You know, it was, uh, I think, almost uh, a little over uh, two months ago that I ended up in the ER with uh, whatever episode brought me there. 
And you know, as I was in that bed, I'm usually the one coming in to pray for people. But you know, as you're in that ER and they're doing all that stuff and you can hear everything else that's going on around you and all the other beds. Being there, I was there for quite some time by myself. And I, I, I know firsthand now what some of you maybe experience. Maybe you've experienced it. Because I said to myself, God, where are you? Because I really don't sense your presence right now. A thousand and one things are racing through my mind, and I, I don't know if you're really there with me. And maybe as a reminder and maybe as a, as a contrast or whatever it might be, there just happened to be someone across the hall uh, it sounded like an older person, no offense to older people, but the person apparently was dying. And they were crying out to God, God, I'm ready, receive me, I'm trusting you. And I thought, am I trusting you in the midst of this? See, we're never out of the presence of God, even though at times we may think that he is very distant. You know, Jeremiah asks a really pointed question in Jeremiah 23. And it's the Lord speaking, and he says, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. See, God is both near and he is far. And he is everywhere that you can be because God is everywhere present. It was uh, said in sort of a little anecdote that uh, an atheist one time in his musings over things wrote, down on a notebook piece of paper, God is nowhere. And his little daughter reading that read it this way, God is now here. And at least the, the antidote said that this man actually was convicted as a result of that and became a, a, a believer in the true God. You know, Acts... Uh, 17, uh, you'll recall, was uh, the Apostle Paul um, at, uh, in preaching to the Athenians, the Areopagus, Athens. And he made the, the declaration in Acts 17, 28, uh, well, verse 26 says, for, for from one man he made every nation of men uh, that, that should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. So you're always in the presence of God. In fact, Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, 20, ends with these words. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I think it's interesting that the NIV chose to, again, uh, translate it this way. But did you know that that word actually is that word behold? Remember how we, we want to see God as he is? And Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascended was, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When this age draws to a close, we don't lose the presence of Christ. We go into the presence of Christ when this age concludes. You are always in the presence of God. And you know, the Apostle Paul, in the last letter that he penned, took comfort in this fact that, that God was with him because he was in the midst of, 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 of his very life in the balance. You know, Second Timothy was his, some people say, his swan song, the last thing that he penned right before he was executed for his faith in Christ. He was martyred. He was beheaded. And look what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support but everyone deserted me. Oh, talk about feeling alone. Talk about feeling abandoned. Talk about feeling like, like everybody has, has, has forsaken you. May it not be held against them. See, Paul didn't hold a grudge. But look at verse 17. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. God, God somehow manifest his presence to Paul to say, Paul, you're not alone. Elijah, you may feel like you're the only one, but you're not alone. But more important than even other believers being around you, Elijah or Paul, I am with you. I am with you always. And notice he says, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Maybe he was being attacked spiritually by Satan in his heart and in his mind. But God delivered him. And it says, look at verse 18, the, 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 the assurance that the presence of God brought to Paul's life, and the same can be for you and for me as followers of Jesus. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and forever. Amen. See, we may at times question the presence of God in our lives, but you know, it is not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of our faith and confidence in God who said in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, never. He says it twice so that you and I get it and believe it and rest in that fact that God is with you whether you feel His presence or not. And isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has come in order that he might be for us Emmanuel. Do you know what that means? God with us. And if Jesus Christ is in your heart by faith, then God is with you. And he'll never abandon you. 
He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you totally alone. There may be no one else around you, but you're in the presence of God because his presence is within you and he will not forsake you. I think there's a twofold application of this. Number one, it's, it's said in the negative, but none of us can ever escape the presence of God. Now, there are people who try. There's unbelievers who think God doesn't see, God doesn't know, God is distant, God is off, you know, whatever. But you're never going to escape the presence of God. And, and all these attributes together just work perfectly together in perfection. They are his perfections because they all point to the one that is beyond even our human comprehension. But you'll never escape the presence of God. But secondly, on a positive, you and I can take comfort in the absolute assurance that God is with us and that we are always in his presence because God is everywhere present. He is omnipresent. May we believe with all our hearts in God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. May we learn to lean on him who in all his perfections lack nothing. And may we always be in awe of him and worship him with our lives. And we're going to do so as we worship him in song. Let's stand together.